This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. All right, this is the best deal they've ever had going on. You wager $1 on the UFC fights this week, and if no matter what, you get $100 in free plays. You can't lose. It's that simple. All right, with John Schuster, I'm Mike Luke. Everybody hop on. we got a ton of comments here. Pac-12 champs. Everybody, all the regulars are already in here. First and foremost, though, Arizona wins 91 to 71. Schuster, this was a beatdown. Um, and I know that, you know, USC got back within like 16 at one point, but this felt, as far as a game on the road, this really felt like, and a little bit different, it kind of felt like that Kansas game like 20 years ago. A little bit different because Salim Stoudemire is not na- making 9,000 threes, but this was just a. This was a humiliation of a top 15 team on their home court in a sold-out environment, John Schuster. Yeah, it was a bear-down beatdown, and uh, Arizona made a statement tonight, and and the folks who are making comments are well aware of it. Uh, you know, I guess the Cats don't like to lose, and uh, that's unfortunate for USC. Completely taken out of the game. The first half was absolutely impressive. By the second half, it was all academic. Uh, but Arizona's movement without the ball, knowing how to dissect what it is that USC does defensively. USC is an excellent defensive team that I yeah. think is going to cause a lot of trouble. And Arizona tore them apart on a consistent basis. So, I mean, there's there's – not a whole heck of a lot you can complain about, so we ain't going to complain about it. We don't um, need to complain about it. Yeah, what I did, Wildcats were absolutely dominant tonight. I thought Jay Billis had made a great point when he said, "How many times down the court when they get the ball around the three point line, do they not even does the ball not even hit the ground? It really is amazing. Every pass, there's not just a swing pass. Every pass is made with a reason. It seems other than the fact to just get it out of your hands. And how many? easy baskets in transition, how many dunks, how many just incredible passes. By the way, that pass that Ben Matherin made in the uh, uh, in the key right there was one of the best passes you'll ever see. This is a team that when they get going like that, shoe, it really is a pleasure to watch because it's basketball in its purest form right there. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, and 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 it's and it is fascinating to me that there aren't more teams that run offense like this. Uh, but it's great from Arizona's standpoint that they've got a coach who can run it as well as he does, and a team that understands when things are going well. And usually, clearly, the record indicates that. Usually, things go well for Arizona. There are obviously in the course of a campaign, you know, you're going to have uh, roadblocks here and there and off nights now and again. But uh, Arizona was outstanding tonight across the board, dominated the interior, really good defensively, forced it share of turnovers. Whether they were scoring in the half court or scoring on breaks, it didn't matter. USC had no answer, and Arizona just completely dominated them up and down the roster. It's nice to see because, again, USC is a, a really good basketball team that I think can cause serious problems in the NCAA tournament, and Arizona tore them apart. Now, a lot of people might not get this, but Barrett Hartman is a very funny man because there was an anti-circumcision rally by the U of A today. And, you know, when you think of the protests that are really going to hit the hot button issues, you think of that. Arizona circumcised USC today. I think that was, I think that's, uh, I think that's yeah, very, I'm, I'm, uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's an interesting one. I guess the obvious one would be that they circumcised the Trojans, but. Uh Oh, they circumcised uh, I mean, the Trojans. I mean, oh. on the fly there, I I, I guess. That's uh, incredibly you know, good. That's, well, I wouldn't say that. But nevertheless, I mean, if that's a kind of, if that's the, uh, you can joke and laugh a little bit about things when uh, your basketball okay. team uh, this takes is care of business the way that it did. Snip, snip to USC. Snip, snip to Troy. All right, so KB Theola, who is one of our uh, youngsters on, who is one of our youngsters on the ground, um, said Ben goes live on IG Instagram, and first thing Tommy says is UMFers are unbelievable. We're going to do this every game. This is the standard of our program. God, I love Tommy Lloyd. That is, I think a lot of people kind of got this misinterpretation of Tommy Lloyd when he came in here that he was going to be this kind of really nice, kind of stiff dude. When you watch him. He's got a flair about him, Schuster. He's this is this isn't your. I'm trying. I'm trying to even think of a right example, and I can't think of one. By the way, I'm going to tweet out what you just said about circumcised the Trojans. Yeah, by by all means, you are you are the multitasker when it comes to uh, social media. So I will uh, certainly leave uh, leave the good work on that front uh, to you. Tommy Lloyd is Andy Taylor with confidence. Uh, there, and, and a lot of that, he believes in his system. He believes in his players. There's a lot of trust there that a lot of coaches ultimately don't have. Uh, we've seen this in, a, in a couple's previous regimes, some that were short-lived, some, some that lasted a little longer, some that were a little bit more recent. Uh, Tommy Lloyd expects a lot, but is not a multi, uh, is not a micromanager. Uh, so he does a very good job of communicating, getting across what there is to get across and his confidence, which seems kind of understated is certainly there. Arizona mm -hmm. is as much as, you know, Lloyd has this sort of demeanor thing going on. Arizona talks a lot. They do. Arizona's a kind of mouthy basketball team. And when things are going well, they're going to let you know that they're going well. So that isn't just Crease's style and DeBella's style and Matherin's style and some of the other guys on the roster. I think there's a bit of uh, Lloyd behind the scenes uh, catering to 
a lot of that as well. They are deceptively confident. And uh, I, I mean, it's been playing very well this year. We hope that it continues uh, in the years ahead as well. There's reason to believe. There's certainly reason to be hopeful about that. Uh, but in the early stages, as it stands, uh, the way that Arizona played tonight makes you feel good about, uh, you know, heading into the tournament. I'm not sure because, you know, we're still two days away from Colorado. So I, uh, so, so, so I don't know if we're in a position necessarily where we can say that Arizona is quote unquote peaking at the right time. But if they get in a flow like this, they're going to be a problem. Speaking of people working behind the scenes, we now have William Brad Allison. By the way, everybody, we've got over 80 comments. We're going to get to these very quickly. William, go. This was a very impressive win by the Cats. Yeah, and, you know, until late in the game when there's a little bit of letdown, that's the thing I like best. They just kept the, the foot on the 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 pedal, and they, they, they did not have that beginning of the second half lull. Uh, got everyone involved, and were actually able to survive what Tabellus and Coloco a not playing particularly well in the first half and b being saddled with a little bit of foul trouble. So uh, they negated USC's athleticism and, and did a lot of uh, good things in this game. And yeah, they could have won by 35. They end up winning by what about 20. Um, but you have to like one that they were able to rebound from the Colorado loss. And at some point we just may have to figure that, Arizona just doesn't play well in Colorado. I mean, where they lost five in a row. They haven't maybe, won since 2014 there. Well, maybe there's just something about it. I mean, uh, Oregon had lost nine straight before this year. So, I mean, maybe there's just something weird about that place, that venue. Yeah, and you would think the elevation shouldn't be that bad considering, what, Tucson's the third highest, I think, elevation in the Pac-12. Uh, you also have the fact that they had already played in Utah. But, yeah, one really bad night, their worst night of the year. And then they turn around and have arguably as good a 30 minutes as they've had all season. Yeah, this reminded me a little bit, uh, Brad, and uh, I was telling Schuster a little bit about this. And it was drastic. It was different for sure because this was probably the most deflate. That was probably the most deflating 10 minutes I've ever seen. But when Arizona went into Allen Fieldhouse, I believe you were there, if I'm not mistaken. I was. You can actually, when Salim hits the big three in the second half where they're trying to run clock, and instead he jacks up the three right, right in front of me. You can actually see me probably chewing on a pin cap. Now, Kansas was obviously better than this SC team. Allen Fieldhouse is not the Galen Center, but this had a little bit of that feel to me where it's just like you're going against a team that you know is good, that has second weekend potential, and the lead keeps going and going and going, and sooner or later – you're looking at a USC team that's a top 15 team in the country, and they're just demoralized, William. Yeah, and you know, and it wasn't just that Arizona was scoring. It was how what, they have the three dunks in a row, mm -hmm. um, including the two in transition. You had the lob from Matherin to Terry. You also had the Kirk Creesa. And if 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 Jaden DeLauer can, can throw a pass that good next season, uh, maybe Arizona football wins a few extra games. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what I think was so demoralizing. You know, there was a, I think a no, almost no look in the lane Larson to, to Coloco. So it wasn't just that you were, were putting it on them, but it was how they were putting it on them. Uh, you know, you go back to that Kansas game and, and people may forget Arizona trailed by nearly 20 in that game. And that actually made it a game by halftime and then took the lead in the second half. Um, this one, they didn't get a chance. You know, they traded buckets for, what, three, four minutes. The next thing you know, you look up and Arizona's up 20. 
Um, they've done that a lot this year to bad teams, to mediocre teams. You know, this is a good team. They may wind up as a six or seven seed, but, you know, to me, you're looking at a USC team that, like you said, certainly has second weekend capabilities. With Arizona, when they play the brand of basketball that they did, everything just fits. And I think one thing about it, and Jay Billis brought this up multiple times, and Schuster's been talking about this all season. This is one of the best passing teams that I've ever seen at the U of A. And there's been some really, really, really good passing teams. But this team has a lot of different guys. Matherin is a very underrated passer. Dalen Terry is a very good passer. Kirk Creesa, as much as people like to beat up on him, has a lot of good passes throughout games. When they're playing, when they're moving the ball like that, it's real, guys, it's really something to behold. And to me, this was kind of their apex performance of the season so far, Shoot. And again, hopefully that's something that continues. Uh, but Arizona has to get into its passing game in one of two ways. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're either going to make some things work on the perimeter, make an extra pass. Sometimes they make extra passes on the interior, which helps to open things up. They cut beautifully without the ball tonight as well. Their pick and roll game was very impressive. Uh, but what they also did tonight that I thought was very solid that they don't always do. And it's one of the few things that concerns me once Arizona gets into the tournament uh, is uh, tonight they were very good at getting by their initial man and that allowed them to get things open. The way I think to defend Arizona, if you have the personnel on the perimeters, you've got to get close up to those perimeter players and then try to disrupt it like that. If you allow Arizona from those spots to dictate how they're going to pass initially, you're in trouble. And SC did a lot of playing off of, it just didn't work. The two things that SC needed to do, they just couldn't. Uh, you have to be able to play up close to disrupt from the perimeter. And you have to be able to stop penetration, right? You know, which then opens things up. And SC couldn't, couldn't, or wouldn't do either of those things, and it allowed Arizona to just completely dissect them. You yeah. know, Mike, it, we we had some conversations you and I in the in the preseason on some of the the podcasts that we did, and we talked about Kerr Creesa, hmm. and you know, the debate was can he play point guard? And one thing I think both you and I said was that he didn't have to do it alone. That right. they had multiple guys who could pass the ball. Um, you know, we mentioned Pella Larson. We mentioned Justin Kyer. We mentioned Dallin Terry. Although I I didn't see Dallin Terry being the assist to turnover ratio god. You, did, you didn't see him being a, almost a six to turn, no, or a six I like, assist guy. I liked him with right. the ball in his hands distributing. Right. Uh, I think the pleasant surprise, you know, we know we knew Tubelis could do some good things. He's your typical, you know, Euro well skilled. I don't know if I saw that Matherin would be as good a passer as he has been. And right. while occasionally he can be a, a, a black hole at times where, you know, you feel he's got like a feel for the game though. He does. And when he decides to, to make that pass, when he realizes he dribbles and the times he can't get by his man, he dribbled into the teeth of the defense a few times. He's willing to kick out. He's willing to find the open guy. You know, he, again, we found Terry in transition uh, yes, I am in jail. Uh, my, roommate, <laughs> my roommate gave me 15 minutes, and then I have to uh, go make some toilet wine for him. Um, <laughs> Brad has his prison wallet already. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, I am in the laundry room because it's the only room in the house that I don't wake up people uh, for these 11 o'clock broadcasts, but uh, it looks a little prison-esque. Uh, but the, the point being is you've got four or five guys, sometimes four on the floor at the same time, who can all distribute the ball. So while Crease has done a very nice job at point guard, the great Arizona teams always 
pass the ball really well. Multiple right. guys. You know, you go back to 88, Elliott could pass the ball. You obviously had the, kind of that combo backcourt. You know, 94, you had three or four guards right. on the floor at one time. The 97, Simon 98, team. you got yeah. three, four perimeter guys, right? Exactly. And this team has that as well. Uh, and, and when they do get moving the ball, they don't seem to be, you know, you know, you're going to get a couple Matherin drives and they usually work. You know, Kirk Reese is going to take a couple long threes, but for the most part, there's a flow to the offense. And when you're getting extra possessions because of tempo, when you're getting extra possessions because of the aggressive defense, you can live with a few bad possessions that maybe the Mark Lyons teams couldn't live with and couldn't survive. Right. Let me tell you real quick about the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and we got to get back to this. Code word PHNX. William, we got the best deal going on right now. You throw down a dollar on any of the UFC fights this week, and it doesn't matter. You get $100 in free plays. I think they probably found out we were giving people bad information about the Pistons, being that they ran off, I think, three straight wins after we said bet against the Pistons. So they're trying to get the money back. Either way, DraftKings Sportsbook app, 21 and up, Arizona only. If you got a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. This is the bet that you don't need to rely on me or Shoe. We're idiots. You're not. <laughs> bet on this. Either way, you're going to win. All right. Let's get back. I'm to not giving UFC advice, although I usually take the Brazilian. <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure. Well, I'll, I'll leave that up to KB Thiel. He's our guy on the ground right there. Uh, uh, question, question. Uh, you guys have talked about, uh, how A, B, C, and D has a quote unquote good feel for the game. Do they have a good feel for the game or does Tommy Lloyd help them have a good feel? I think, I think it's a mar I think it's a perfect marriage right there. I think all of these guys, and this is something that I think is a little bit underrated when people talk about Tommy Lloyd. They're saying, and yeah, no duh, you're running up and down the court. You're playing a brand of basketball we haven't seen in 15, 20 years. But to me, Shu, and I'm curious as to what both of you guys say, because you've seen more basketball than I have. That's an age joke. But what he has also been able to do is maximize everybody's ability out here. How many times in previous years would we see somebody that was incredibly talented? And yeah, they're good, but it felt like they were leaving something out there. What player, guys, and you know, honestly, maybe I'm missing something. What player on this team in the starting lineup coming off the bench do you look at and say, man, we could be getting a lot more from him? Go ahead. No one because... I wasn't counting on much from, from Larson and Balo, and we've gotten more than I'd expected. But right. I will say this. I think when you talk about feel for the game, I'd be interested to see. I don't know exactly how the international system works in all these countries. But generally, these guys did not go to a normal high school. Right. They played at semi-pro ball. Essentially, they played at sports academies. You know, Matherin went to that NBA academy as did Balo. I don't know if that was a, a, a short-term thing or a long-term thing. Didn't Dal and Terry go to one of the, the prep schools? Hillcrest, yeah. Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a basketball school. The only guy who wasn't immersed in basketball, really, on this team, I don't know Kyer's background, and I, but it was Coloco. Coloco was new to the game. He right. got exposed to it in, the I think, the Cameroon, then came to America would he play at Orange Lutheran, was it? Or one of those type programs? But my guess is Pella Larson and Kirk Kreese and Tubelis were playing 
more than you know the 15 hours you played you know a- after school at Saguaro and then whatever gym time you could get at the Udall Center. They <laughs> were basically playing in a professional basketball system for years. Adama Ball, same thing. He played on that, you know, the French, the Paris teams under 18 team. So not only do you have guys have a good feel for the game, not only do you have a great coaching staff, and again, I put a lot of credit towards uh, Steve Robinson, who has coached with some of the best and some of the best players over the last, what, 30 years. You got Mm -hmm. Murph as a guy I hold in pretty high regard. Obviously, they brought uh, the guy over from the Suns to be a player development guy. But these guys, you know, basically played in this very structured European system. Right. Um, you know, again, Pella Larson played with some of the, um, under, I think, under 16 all Sweden teams. I mean, you're immersed in basketball in a way. At Hillcrest Prep, those guys are flying all over the country. They're, they're not driving down to Santa Rita from, or they're not driving over to Rincon for a game, then coming back, going to the Carl's Jr., and going to their shift at the movie theater. I mean, they were basically <laughs> professional basketball players from an early age. Um, and I would assume as you continue to recruit from the international scene, from, you know, they're, they're getting, uh, you know, Kylan Boswell, who's been playing at one of these prep academies, you're going to get guys who've been immersed more so than ever in basketball. And uh, maybe with the NIL thing, more so than ever, and I think that can help if you have a good structure in place, create guys. Now, we've also seen guys who've played in the AAU system who have no structure. Right. Uh, coach rolls out the ball, uh, gives you the 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 Makovic compete speech and, uh, you know, tries to match his shoes with his uh, with his outfit. We've all seen those AAU teams. Most of these guys aren't coming from systems like that. OK, right. so is it important uh, from a recruiting standpoint that those are the kinds of players that you go after, perhaps? sacrificing superior athleticism or five stars on the process? I think you find the guys who fit your system. And I think so far Lloyd, again, he inherited a lot. Let's not pretend he didn't, but he brought in guys who play well together. I think that was maybe over the last five, six years, the biggest knock on uh, Sean Miller. I think, his best teams were five stars who fit his system, but Miller was a system coach. Real, real quick, Alonso guys. did not fit the system. Kobe Simmons did not fit the system. Rondé did. Uh, but I think that's so you find the best guys to fit your system. And if they play at uh, the Stockholm Academy, great. And if they, uh, <laughs> if they play at uh, Santa Rita High School, great. Whatever you can find the best players who fit your system. And your a lot players. of people ask about Bruno and how Bruno's doing. Bruno is tired, and that is Bruno. Uh, passed out right there. So Bruno just wanted to throw you in there real quick. All right. Um, I got a couple questions here and I want to get, I think there was a great point here by now I need to uh, go back to, uh, I think it was Ben Brents. Okay. All right. He says, yo, I got a serious question. We got a serious answer, Bensky. All right. Since we're pac 12 camps, do we rest our starters and play our bench? No, you do exactly what you've been doing in my opinion, because first and foremost, you still want to get that number one seed. College basketball is crazy. And honestly, you've got an eight-man rotation right now. That's what you're going to live and you're going to die with right now. It's a good question. I was actually going to get to. Um, you're not going to start playing Shane Noel or Adama Ball right now. That's for that's for the offseason. That's for getting in. You've got an eight-man rotation right now. You're clicking. Guys, I think you play exactly the way you've been playing, and you play to try to win every, every game going into the tournament. 
Um, am I wrong? I know you guys are also from the loot era where if he had the number one seed locked up, he was basically going to throw in the white towel at the uh, Pac-12 tournament. What do you guys think? Well, I think um, they're nah, – the lineup that you saw tonight is going to be similar to what you see against Stanford and Cal because they don't have the number one seed locked up. I think they have to win the two regular season games at McHale to do that. Uh, it, you know, because – theoretically, while I believe they're going to be a number one, while I think it's likely they're going to be a one in the South, um, if you lose to a Stanford or a California somehow at McHale, somebody on a committee can make the argument that you aren't closing very strong and that's not a good win. Uh, so those are two games that, you know, Arizona, it, it helps Arizona. Once you get to the Pac-12 tournament, I think it's gravy. Right. Uh, and so, you know, by knocking off USC as impressively as they did tonight, uh, it's hard to fathom that Arizona is going to be off that line, but you know, you can give it, you can give it right back if they have a setback against Stanford or Cal at home. So I suspect that uh, Arizona is going to now, you know what you hope happens. And then it gets to this point is that your starters are playing 25 minutes because you're dominating the Cardinal and dominating the bears. And uh, then you can go deeper in the bench and take it from there. Uh, and it's there is validity to the point because of the USC game here. Arizona's played a lot of games. They've stacked them up. There's a lot of there's a lot of travel involved, you know. And they've got a game Thursday and another game Saturday. That's not far off. They had a game Saturday. They have a game right. this one here. Now now they've got two others, you know. Um, so you know that Arizona's depth can be tested, but you hope they can take advantage of things uh, if. If there's a close game that's in doubt against Stanford or California, I think Arizona's going to play at starters or play some variation of the eight-man rotation. The good news is that because of where they're seated in the Pac-12 tournament, they're looking at a five at five days rest just to get that going anyway. And uh, in in the tourney, I think you're going to see the same lineup as well. Mm. You know, I could conceivably see again if they're if they're playing well. Uh, using maybe uh, ball is what I would call the Jason Rainey minutes. And that is, you know, if you're up 15 and late in the first what half, you, you, a minute. you know, if they're up 15, he gets a couple, he gets a minute, minute and a half at the end of the first half. And if you're up 20 late in the game, maybe he plays the final five instead of the final minute and a half. Um, so what you're talking about there is that Jason Rainey for reference was not in the regular rotation, but was somebody who you could plug in here and there to maybe give starters a little, extra he was break. the eight and a half man in the eight man rotation. Loot would occasionally bring him in to spell starters. Um, you know, maybe the better guy to reference was who was the point guard from South point who was on that team, John Ash, uh, John Ash, who would Jason Gardner would play 38 and a half minutes. And John Ash would play the would other minute like and a half. Seconds each and half, it was like yeah. 30 seconds right before a TV timeout. Um, they're not going to change up things. But no, I could see, again, you go up big in the second half, uh, especially Saturday or the first game of the Pac-12 tournament. I could see you, you know, again, playing those two guys, you know, Noel and, and Ball, five minutes each, three minutes each. But once you get into that second game, because you're probably playing, what, in Oregon? Mm. Or, or Washington in that second right. game, that four or five seed. I don't think you mess with it unless you see a lot of your other teams lose, like like Kansas is doing now. You know, if Baylor drops two all of a sudden, or Duke and well, Auburn lose. 
But Arizona's not going to jeopardize the number one seed to get their guys how, how much do, 20 minutes of rest over the course of three games. How much do you guys go? I think this is an interesting question right here. How much do you guys go all out for that number one seed, oh, the number one overall seed? Because right now, we can be honest here, Arizona's a number one seed, barring something catastrophic, because – you're probably not going to lose the next two games, your last two games of the season. So you're you're going to be a one seed, especially with the way teams are losing. Gonzaga probably is going to win out, but you know you probably you might get St. Mary's again. They've shown that they could lose to St. Mary's. How badly does it really matter if you're a one seed in the South as opposed to the West? If you're in San Antonio as opposed to California, is that that big of a deal? And would you guys go all out for that? Uh, I, I, you go out and just try to win basketball games. Right. Uh, so if you're at the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, you're, you're not going to lay an egg. If some team happens to be better than you uh, on that night, that's fine. But you're not going to try to lose in your conference tournament. You got to, you know, there's, and it, it's good experience because there could be some teams across from you, an Oregon, a Colorado, uh, especially that may feel like they're in a position where they've got to win those games to try to solidify spots. So right. you're going to have tournament environment potentially type matchups there. I don't, I don't, I don't think Arizona's attitude is going to change at all. I think the, I think the Wildcats are going to go up to Vegas with a massive fan base in tow, trying to win the Pac-12 tournament. And right. they're going to have what, you know, in essence, what we've come to expect from the Arizona fan base. It's, Tucson, it just... it's Tucson North that week in Las Vegas. And Tucson North and the players want to win the Pac-12 tournament for their fans and use it as momentum heading into the NCAA tournament. I don't really buy into the, uh, you know, if you you might get bounced early in the NCAA tournament because you expended so much energy uh, to try to win your conference tournament. I don't think there's any statistical proof of that one way or the other. Uh, is, once you get into a one-game situation, all bets are off and anything can happen and it's all a wash. But I expect Arizona to, I expect Arizona to try to win that conference tournament, and as I expect Arizona to try to dominate Stanford and Cal this weekend. Is it that just said, I don't think there's a big difference between the West and the South. Um, you're going to play in the first round in San Diego, regardless. I mean, I'd be shocked. Like I, I, I'd buy if, if you don't want to make the six hour drive, book your plane ticket to San Diego. Now the question is, yeah, whether you play your, you know, assuming they get to the sweet 16, are you in, what is it? Another California game? Or are you in, in San Antonio? And frankly, right. I like the history in San Antonio. Um, they had a pretty good, uh, mm -hmm. run there, True. uh, uh, back in 01. Um, when they beat uh, that's right, oh one was San Antonio, Ole Miss Good call Illinois. Right uh, so were you guys uh, at? Were you guys at? I, those I was games? there. Yeah. Were you there, Shoe? She no. was not. Okay. All right. No. <laughs> All right. I, I know because Shoe had to put the magazine together as I'm like calling him quotes and things like that because you know this was this was a uh, pre uh, pre high speed internet. This was dial up. Era. For those who may not be aware, Brad and I worked at a U of A sports magazine called Catrax Magazine that did those sorts of things. And at the time, it was a little bit different than the immediacy that we have uh, come to expect now. So Brad, as uh, editor or co editor at that time would generally go on the road and uh, I would usually stay home and try to uh, manage. One of my most job. valued pieces of uh, cat tracks. I grew up watching these or I grew up reading these guys right here. I'm doing a terrible job of putting this in the screen, but there you go. Um, all right. 
I want to get to a Justin Kyer here in a second because there's something that enamors me about him. But first, what also enamors me is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX. All right. John Schuster and I don't know what we're talking about. That's been proven. <laughs> yes, we, uh, basically, we basically told you to bet on the worst team in the NBA, bet against them. Mm-hmm. And that team heard us, obviously, because they're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. And they're saying, you know what? Watch this. We're going to go on a three-game winning streak. We so motivate the- them. So the folks at DraftKings step in and they say, you know what? We can't have these guys losing our customers' money. We're going to put a bet on there where you can't lose. That's what you got right now. You bet on the uh, uh, the fights this weekend, UFC fights, and no matter what happens, you get $100 in free plays if you put down $1. All right. Now, I want to get to Justin Kyer. By the way, we will be up there uh for the uh, Pac-12 tournament. Very excited. William's going to be down here in Tucson, but William is more than welcome to join us. We have the uh, the connection to be able to make this happen. Yeah, uh, shoe, shoe politic to get me on the ride up there, but unfortunately, uh, family and, and the local uh, work stuff keeping me from making the trip this year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Well, we can make that one happen. I will be at the Luxor. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Nobody. And I mean, <laughs> nobody has ever said, I will be at the Luxor and treated it as if it was a special privileged VIP moment. Well, it's almost like I now. said, that, well, it's almost like when I talked about how I was going to Denver and you were unimpressed. Mm, well, I'm, hey, all right, Justin Kyer, enough, enough about me. Let's talk Justin Kyer. When I watch Justin Kyer. Let's let Justin Kyer talk about you. Yes, anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. When I watch Justin Kyer out there, he's the one guy that comes off the bench. And Larson's very, very good. Ballo is very good. Our guy Chad McDonald's has a 100% uh, uh, last uh, – I, I, I don't know Chad what Chad McDonald said something to the effect in the comments, and you ran it under the scroll a couple times, toward – he said something like, Ballo is a man among mortals. Mm-hmm. All men are – Portals. Yeah, I thought I saw that as well. The good thing is the Luxor has Bellagio's old furniture. Jeff, thanks for making me feel really crummy right there. <laughs> All right. When I watch Justin Kyer, though, he is, and again, it's probably not going to happen. It doesn't necessarily need to happen. But I feel like I'm watching a guy that can get me 30 points at some point. He just is smooth out there. He can shoot. He can get to the bucket. He can handle a little bit. Guys, he feels like the type of player that, again, knock on wood, you don't want anybody to get injured. But if you have to throw Justin Kyer in a big-time game, whether it's a turned ankle, whether it's a foul trouble for 30 minutes, I feel more than comfortable. I don't think you're losing a whole heck of a lot. No, he may not be the explosive athlete that, that you know a couple of the other guys on the wing are, Terry and Matherin, but... Uh, you know, he is the John Schuster of the Arizona Wildcats. He's the the old old player. He's uh, physically mature. Um, he can score in a variety of ways. He can play variety, but he's a big, strong guy. I mean, you know, you look at him, and and, and Kim Aiken was sort of the same way. Uh, rest in peace, whoever he's at now. Oh, I uh, see but, Kim Aiken at Vasa Fitness every day now. But so. these guys are, what, 23, 24 years right. old? And, and there's a big difference in, like, grown man strength between a guy who's 24 and a kid who's 18 or 19. Right. And in this day and age where you seem to have nothing in between, the kids are playing are either 18 or the 23 and have been in the transfer portal, uh, you know, 54 times. Like, like Kai, what's Kyer's a six year guy, seven year guy. 
Kyer's um, only a sixth year guy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's a kin show in the transfer portal a lot. Yeah. I mean, they pass each other. <laughs> they were both in the DC. <laughs> they both awesome went from DC and then they wind up in Tucson. They passed on I 10 as Kyer was coming from Atlanta. Um, but yeah, he's an older, he's a savvy guy. He's a strong guy. He's athletic enough. He can shoot, he can drive. Um, so yeah, he's a really nice option. Now, can he score 30? I don't want to have to count on it, but maybe, but can he score a key 14 or 15? Can he D up a slightly bigger player who maybe he's stronger than? Yeah. You feel good about it. Can he run point for 20 minutes? If uh crease, turns an ankle or has some foul trouble. Yeah. Especially when you combine him with a Larson, with a Terry, with a Matherin who can all take some of those roles. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Kyer. Um, I don't want to have to see him score 30, but if he can score consistently score between eight and 12 points in the tournament, that's uh, probably going to be a good thing. All right. We got Ryan Mitchell right here per stats. I don't know if that's an acronym or the actual word. Either way, we'll take it. Tonight was the first time a D1 team beat a 25 plus win team on the road by 20 plus points since March, 1981. Ooh, Ooh I am absolutely going to screenshot that one right there. All right, Robbie, you're you're able to sign off right there, but go ahead, go ahead there, William. Uh, that's impressive when you think about it. But then I guess, uh, you know, you think about how many twenty-five win teams that's at the end of the year, uh, you know, go and lose that bad at home late in the year. Probably doesn't happen a whole lot. So, it, it, at first you're like, oh, it's had to happen. But then when you look at those stats, what I think is really the most impressive thing is the fact that Arizona did this. On the third of three games in, what, five days, um, they've been right. on the road a whole lot the last three weeks. What is it? Uh, six of the last uh, eight games on the road. Uh, you've had a couple of these three games in 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 a three, uh, what, in a week, unlike normally the two in a week. Uh, to me, that's what was really impressive. USC looked like the team that was coming back from the mountain road trip, not Arizona. Right. Yeah, that's uh, and it did feel that way. Arizona completely took them out of the game. Whatever motivation occurred after the Colorado uh, setback was obviously very effective. There was something Brad talked about earlier in regards to Kyer, uh, and 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 the one area where I think he is potentially the most beneficial for Arizona come tournament time is as a guy on the wing who may be able to better defend the opposition's perimeter player than perhaps Creaser. Can. So one of the issues is we're right. well aware with Prisa, right. he is the liability on defense for an Arizona team that has other pieces that play defense very well. Uh, and and if that's a matchup that becomes problematic, Kyer is a guy who has more physicality who might be able to negate that a little bit. All right, guys, before we sign off here again, everybody on here is fantastic. This Arizona team, I'm going to keep saying it. I believe this is the best Arizona team since 2002, 2003. Um, Luke Walton, Jason Gardner, Salim Stoudemire, Ricky Anderson, all them. them. Schuster's not a comparison guy. I don't care. William, I threw out that out there as well to you the other day. What do you think about that? You know, I think you might be right. It's really hard to bet against that. If Ashley was healthy, the the was it the but he's not. team, but he's not. Um, Question for you guys. I'm sorry to interrupt, Brad. Is the Brandon Ashley injury one of the most significant things to happen to Wildcat basketball in the last decade or so? 
Oh, in the last decade? I think it probably think is, it, isn't it? It's it, it in the Schlaubaugh story. Um, because you, you the, the class that Arizona had fall apart. Right. You know, they, if they had gotten Shimi Shaitu, Nasir Little, uh, some of those, you know, uh, Bol Bol. Right. Who knows? You were I mean, looking they, at getting basically the best player. Uh, R.J. Barrett was in consideration too. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that. But Ashley's the surest thing to me. You put Ashley right up there, at least in my sports fandom with. Uh, you know, Gilbert Arenas getting hurt again. To me, Lauren Woods back injury, the junior season right before they're going in. Cause I thought they were the best team in the country at that point. Yeah. That to me was always a one, another one too. That's it's not an injury, but I'll, that I'll always think about is that what if Joseph Blair is eligible? That team lost to a Kansas team in the sweet 16 by two or three points. I think they could have done some real damage as well. Those, to me, are always the ones that are kind of on the short list. Yeah, there's some things with some transfers. You know, what if they don't take uh, Luke Recker, who chased off a few guys? Um, but, yeah, you know, you look at it, and, and and certainly in the last 10 years, if Ashley's healthy, that team was still arguably the best team in America without him. With right. him, they were no doubt the best team in America. What do you think, Schuster? Well, I think uh, I was just curious what you guys went with. I think sometimes you're a little bit more – the historian in that category. If you're asking uh, for my uh, comparison with this team and some other teams, the only thing from a Wildcat standpoint, and I think the fan base most certainly deserves it for a team that for, for a program that looks like its trajectory is strong. It's about damn time that Arizona gets to the final four again. And this is a team that is built for that, that has set itself up in that regard. So I don't care about 03. I don't care about 05. I don't care about the, you know, the better Miller teams in that three-year window. Let's just get back. Let's just see if Arizona can get back to 01 and maybe do what it did in 97 and actually hang some banners. This program and this fan base, because this fan base is stuck with this program for a right. while. As as Wildcat fans and followers of this team and this program, the fact that it's been able to stay together and be competitive for as long as it can be, it's just baffling that this program, with its 21 years, hasn't been to a Final Four in two decades. And I get how wide open the NCAA tournament is. I get that in reality, once you get to the Elite Eight, but eight, it's a crapshoot. Totally get it. But at some point in that crapshoot, you ought to be good enough to be able to break through uh, beyond the regional final two. And so I'm hopeful that Arizona, in a way that has set itself up for success, can carry that success into the final weekend of the NCAA tournament. Brad. Yeah, they're four shots away from four more final fours and either and missed them all. Or, right. or had the foul call. That's the amazing thing. William Shu can't thank you guys enough. This was Arizona basketball at its absolute finest. I am a big fan of saying that other people deserve things. I'm going to say this to the fan base out there. You deserve a final four this year. We are going to be with you the entire way. William, appreciate you hopping on. You got an open invite anytime. You know that Shu is always. Thanks for being my, uh, my, uh, my harbinger of truth in an uncertain time. I am merely Mike Luke. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.